Remember Barry Sanders, the greatest football player that ever played the game? I mean, and that was just seventh grade. He was an exceptional running back. I mean, just an extraordinary. And in college, he, uh, he won the Heisman Trophy, you know, that's awarded to the most outstanding player in college football. I mean, this guy was so good, he went pro, where he was selected to the Pro Bowl 10 different times. I mean, this guy was astounding to watch. He just never knew what would happen when this guy had the ball. Astounding indeed. But you know what's really the most incredible thing to me? Is that professional football is, is generally speaking, played by giants. I mean, linemen who are pushing 400 pounds, you know, they're six-something, all of them. But Barry Sanders was five foot eight inches tall. Melanie is, what, five, six, maybe? She's on her toes, maybe seven, I don't know. Five, eight. I mean, he weighed 200 pounds. But this guy not only played professional football, he excelled at it. And I got to tell you, friends, if you'd have asked me, hey, do you think this guy who's 5'8 will be able to, no, there's no way, maybe college, but come on, exceptional, exceptional. There's not a lot of 5'8 people out on the football field today. A lot like that guy uh, played basketball professionally. He was 5'7". I mean, when you think basketball players, you're thinking, you know, seven foot eleven, you know. I mean, just really big guys. This guy was five foot seven. His name was Spud Webb. And even at uh, that 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 height, could you say? <laughs> you know, the guy could dunk a basketball. I mean, you would think maybe he'd be really good at soccer, but basketball. Exceptional people, people who don't really fit. The expectation. Maybe you and I are like that here this morning. Not a lot of high expectation of what God would be doing in our life or through our life. But I want to tell you, friends, the world is filled with people exceeding the expectations of others. And like these people, we could add to the list the people in the book of Ruth. What an unusual book this has been. You know, this woman from a foreign country comes to live in the land of Israel, and, you know, she's doing the best she can, but oblivious to everything else going on. I mean, her husband is dead. She's living with her mother-in-law, who is also a widow. And they come across this guy named Boaz. Hmm. People, unexpected exceptionalism. And so we're going to take a look here in the last chapter of a list of people today who, quite frankly, was like a lot of people. Some people did some exceptional things for others, like Ruth toward her mother-in-law, or Boaz towards Ruth but not necessarily all of them. For example, here starting in verses 1 to 6, we see the man who neglected his responsibilities 
and lost his name. Here's a guy looking out for himself, trying to protect what will come after him, and he lost his name. Take a look with me, if you will. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate. Now, when you talk about the gates, I'm sure you're aware of this. You're good students of the scripture. The gate of the city is where business was done. It wasn't just a swinging thing, you know. They had this wall. They would come, and then they would build around this. And this, is, this was city hall of the day. And so there's Boaz, who goes down to the gate. And behold, there's that word behold again. And so Boaz goes down to City Hall, and that's the guy I need to meet with. Now, maybe he knew he was headed there. We don't know, but we know this. The Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken. You may recall that, uh, well, let's maybe review a little bit all of it here from the very beginning. It's not that much. There was a famine in the land of Israel, and there was a family a man named Elimelech who took his wife and his two sons to Moab to get food. And we can understand, hey, we got to do something. We can't just eat good thoughts, you know. And so away they go. Now that was wrong for them to do that. The reason that there was famine in the land of Israel is because God was disciplining his children. This took place during the time of the judges. And the, the key description of the time of the judges is given to us in chapter 1, where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Didn't take into consideration what God had said about anything. They just did what they thought was best for themselves. And so it is marked by God's discipline of this nation that came in cycles, sin cycles, it looked a lot like this. The nation of Israel fell into sin, so God would raise up one of their enemies to come and attack them. And then ultimately they would enslave the people of God. And enduring this hardship, they would cry out to God, Oh, save us. And Why should he? For his name's sake. And so he would raise up a deliverer, a judge, a guy like Samson. You know, that's where all of those unusual characters, Ehud, there's a name to share with your generations, you know. And so this happened and God would deliver them and restore them and they would fall back into sin yet again. And God would raise up yet another enemy, the Philistines, the, you know, just whoever. And it continued over and over again. And the reason we have the book of Ruth is that in the midst of this darkness, there shines a little light. And that little light's name is Ruth. So Ruth's husband is dead, and Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, I'm going back to Israel. I'm going back to my people. Why don't you go back home and marry one of your idolatrous men there and have a family and be happy and watch TV and, you know, just, just go back to your old life? What a, what a miserable advice that was. But there you are. When you're in the midst of sin, friends, you don't have a lot of wisdom. But Ruth says, no. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. I'm going with you. Well, they get back, but guess what? They ain't got nothing to eat. So Ruth decides to go out in the field 
And lo and behold, how lucky. Now, this is the providence of God putting her in the right field at the right time when Boaz gets there and he says, hey, who's that? And it seems that everybody knows what's going on. It seems that everyone knows about Ruth, who came home from Moab with Naomi to be of the people of God. Astounding. Yeah. And there were rules about such things, laws given in the nation of Israel that Boaz understood. So he made sure she got plenty to eat, looking out for her, respecting how she's caring for someone else, which is a, of course, very honorable thing to do, looking out for someone else. Hmm. Ultimately, she cleverly lets him know that he is the kinsman redeemer, a near relative whose responsibility it is to buy the land of someone who has sold it because of their poverty and to make sure that you raise up children that they would inherit that land. The land stays in the family. We don't sell it to foreigners. And so... Boaz realizes there is a near kinsman redeemer than I, so I'm going to go talk to him. You may recall in chapter 3 at the end, Naomi says, just relax, he's going to take care of it and right away. And here we come to chapter 4, and that's exactly what happens. He's there at the gate, and there is this redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken and came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Now that sounds like a pretty innocuous uh, uh, address, you know, friend. That's typically what you call someone when you can't remember their name, right? You know, and the irony of that is that literally, the Hebrew here tells us that he says, "Turn aside, so and so." You know who so and so is? The name you can't remember. The name that perhaps isn't important enough to remember. And whoever it is that wrote this book, some say that um, Samuel wrote it. We don't know. No, unlikely that he did. I'm sorry, Samson. Samson. Solomon. Some recommend. It doesn't matter. The point is that the author didn't put his name in here because it wasn't worthy of remembering. Think about that. And you say, why? I mean, why, why say that? Who is this guy that we would treat him such, in such a way? We'll take a look. So he turned aside and he sat down. And here we see Boaz. I mean, look at Boaz. What an honorable man this is. He could have said, not my problem, and walked away. But he's not doing that, is he? He's looking out for someone else. And notice in verse 2, he communicated the responsibility of this man publicly. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. And then he charged the near redeemer to do what he's supposed to do. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it. 
in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Well, that's nice. That's nice. The Redeemer says, I'll do it. After someone has to come to him and tell him about it. Everyone in town seems to know about Ruth and Naomi, but this guy. But notice here in verse 5 that Boaz said, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Hmm. Remember we talked about that responsibility that if, uh, that if a husband died, left no children, it was the responsibility of his brother, the nearest relative, to raise up children for his brother. And we know how that's done because we're all adults here. And so Boaz reminds him, the day you buy that field... You also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Oh, just take a look at this. I cannot for myself, for my, 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 my. The guy's only concerned about himself. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Why did he change his mind? I don't want to marry Ruth. I may, that may be reason. That may be it. He could be just too selfish. No thought of her condition at all or the law of God. No, I don't want to be a part of that. Another reason, perhaps he was too poor to sustain the land and a wife. It's possible. Or, as some have suggested, perhaps he feared to marry a Moabitess, lest the fate of Malon, Ruth's first husband, befall on him. You know, God killed him. You know, that reminds us of Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verses 3 to 6. You see, when God brought up the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of that slavery for 430 years, when he brought them out, they were attacked and they were attacked by the Moabites. And so the Lord gave this instruction to the people of God in the book of Deuteronomy as they're about to enter the land. He says in Deuteronomy 23.3, No Ammonite, Ammonite, Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Hmm. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. And you shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all the days forever. You see, they saw the, the, the nation of Israel coming out and they were like sea, you know, sand on the seashore. These people were everywhere. So King Balak decides to hire Balaam 
and says, I want you to curse these people, these prophets. And Balaam goes out to curse them and blesses them. And one of the funny things about this story that gives you a picture in their head, Balak is so mad he's clapping. He's angry. No, I hired you to curse them and now you've blessed them. And he goes to do the same thing, same thing. No, I cannot curse what the Lord has blessed. But remember that thing that uh, the Lord said to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, make of you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. And anyone that blesses you, I will bless. But anyone that curses you, I will curse. Very significant. And here the Lord is saying, none of these Moabites, not among you. And so it's understandable this man might say, I don't want to get involved with that. <laughs> yeah, perhaps the best view, though, is this. That when he learned that from Boaz that Ruth owned the property along with Naomi, he knew that if Ruth bore him a son, that son would eventually inherit not only the redeemed property, but probably also some of his estate from his own children. And so he didn't want that to be taken away from his kids. Well, in that sense, the near redeemer would endanger his estate. However, if only Naomi were widowed, not Naomi and Ruth, and no son from the Leverite marriage would inherit part of the Redeemer's estate because Naomi was past childbirthing. Frankly, he was just too concerned about himself. What about me? As if there is no God in heaven who does not know these things in light of his commands, I would not care for them. Of course he would. Because this man was so concerned about himself, we don't even know his name. So much for his inheritance and his ancestry. But when we come to verse 7, we move on from this man who only thought about himself to a man who did what was right and was rewarded because of it. Look at verse 7. Boaz did what was right. I will redeem this land. I will acquire Ruth in the whole ordeal. And because of this, my friend, we notice in verses 7 to 8, he require, acquired a sandal. You say, what's that all about? Well, take a look here. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And what this is, is a picture of releasing the right to walk on that land. It belongs to you, not me. So he acquires a man's sandal. And he acquired Ruth the Moabite. Look at here in verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all of the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought the, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. And then he continued the line of Malon. Verse 10. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought 
uh, to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from, the, from among his brothers. And from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses of this today. And so he acquired a sandal, he acquired Ruth, and he continued the line of Malon, which is exactly the point, isn't it? But it gets better here, my friends, as endings often are, sometimes a surprise, sometimes very enlightening as this is. Because in all of the darkness of the time of the judges, there is light and there is hope. You see, when we get to verse 11, there is a third party that we need to look at here, and that is those who celebrated Boaz doing the right thing. In a time of darkness, like the time of the judges, here these people have the opportunity to see a man who is righteous, a man who is just, who does the right thing for the right reason, and God is honored in it. Apparently, there wasn't a lot of people like that. Maybe that's true today as well. How many people do you know in your life that know someone who is righteous, who is just, who is good, and does the right thing for the right reason, not in hopes of getting something else? In verse 11, we see that these people prayed that Ruth would be fruitful. They had no idea. Then all the people who were at the gate of the elders said, We are witnesses, and may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. And may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamor bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Praying for the offspring, the fruit of this relationship. Oh, that you would be fruitful. And you know what? God answered that prayer. Here in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. But you will notice here, in response to that great event in verse 14, the women prayed that Boaz would be famous. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and she became his nurse. And the wonder of this little event, and you wonder why is this recorded? It's a nice story, but why is it here? Notice verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse. And the father of David. 
Yeah, that one. The king. All of this to perpetuate the line of a king. Had to come from the line of Judah, my friend. Because in chapter 49, the prophecy was that the scepter shall never depart from the line of Judah. All, you know, you read all of these genealogies in the Old Testament and they're hard to pronounce and you don't know these people and you wonder why it matters. But every last one of them leads to Jesus. Just like this one by because not only is he the great grandfather of King David, he would also be an ancestor of Jesus. You want to know why it matters? You know why, why this matters today? Because, my friends, all of these things took place to bring about what God had prophesied from the beginning that the seed of the woman crush the head of the serpent and that would change everything verse 18 now these are the generations of Perez Perez fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Ram and Ram of course fathered Aminadab and Aminadab fathered Nation Nation fathered Solomon and Solomon fathered Boaz and Boaz fathered Obed and Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. Where did people come from? Other people. People who were faithful to do what was right. All from the line that God had called. Doing the right thing, my friends. You just never know the impact it will have. For the day, for the week, for the year for generations to come. This is a celebration of people who are just, faithful, people of faith, Ruth, who left everything. None of this, let me go home and get my stuff. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. And where you go, I'm going. The Lord uses unexpected people to accomplish his will. A Moabite? Yep. Because God is a God of grace. Because God is not only concerned about the Jews. He's concerned about you and I. So how do we live in light of these truths? How about this? Be about his business. Be about the business the Lord has given to us. Growing in our love for him and for others. Calling out on others to do the right thing as I am doing right here. My friends, if you have two options this week, do the one you know is right. Choose the one that honors God. Choose the one you don't have to explain later. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. So that in dark days, you can be the light. And someone could say, wow, there are still people like that. 
people of integrity, people of holiness, people who trust God. You never know what you'll inspire. Be like Edward Kimball. You just never know how God may multiply your works. And that's what we count on anyway, isn't it? Whatever it is we do for him, we trust that he will use it in whatever way he would have in anyone's life and whom he chooses. Trust God to multiply your work. A couple of lessons I think we have from the, uh, the book here. When we think of Naomi, we think of her condition she was in when we met her. You may recall that when she returned, she said, don't call me Naomi because her name means pleasant. She had run from God and her life was in ruins. Her husband is dead, her children are dead and here is this Moabite sticking around. Don't run from God, my friends. Don't run from God. None of this conviction of the spirit. I, I know, I, I know I shouldn't do, I know I wasn't, I know. Fall to your knees, my friends, and seek the forgiveness of God. Don't run from him. Don't run from him. A lot of people have lost great opportunities because they didn't think they'd be enough. But let me give you a hint, friends. You're not. I'm not and you're not. But you know what? He is. God uses the strangest of people. Left-handed judge. Never saw it coming, I guess. I don't know. But God chooses the most unique people People that others would look on and say, no, not them. But God works in our lives and through our lives. Trust him. Do it. Stand up. Make a stand. Hmm. Be about his business. And call on others to do the right thing as well. So that in dark days you will be the light. Don't run from God. God is doing something remarkable. Listen to me. God is doing something remarkable in the midst of your circumstances. God is doing something that you won't be aware of until heaven. You don't know who's watching. You don't know who's listening. People who are intrigued and in what they see going on in your world right now. God is doing something. Join him. Participate with him. And then there's Ruth. Well, if we learn anything from Ruth's life, it is that God honors faith and sacrifice. The providence of God works with those who are busy. Get at it. Get moving. That's where you will see God at work. And the impact of your life will not be revealed until eternity. If you look now to measure and wonder if your life had any difference at all, did it matter? You will not know until eternity. 
but God will be glorified. And frankly, I think you will be amazed. I didn't know God was doing that. I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know anybody saw that. Trust him, my friends. Be light in the darkness. And what do we learn from Boaz? A good woman is worth working for. Ruth was a good woman, industrious and faithful, loving and caring about someone else. Hmm. She didn't grow up in it. She wasn't immersed in it in her childhood to know about all of these things. Think about it. Well, what in the world is a kinsman redeemer? What are you talking about, Naomi? We didn't have those where I came from. But she was faithful through it all. Go. Go at night when he's laying and, and climb under his blanket at his feet. I ain't doing that. She was faithful, my friends. Even when she didn't understand it, she was faithful to be used of God. And in what a powerful way. Well, let me tell you about my great-grandson. He's a king. Yeah. Be faithful. Be faithful to what God has called you to do, wherever it is you are. may not be a place you want to be right now, but God has you there for a reason. Be faithful. Be faithful.